Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. One of my favorite quotes from Spurgeon is this, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Think about that. It took a while for the snail to get in the ark, didn't it? But he didn't quit. He didn't give up. In the same way, in order for you and I to grow in this journey of spiritual maturity in Christ, we must stay the course. Have you ever had to tell yourself, stay the course, keep going, don't quit, don't give up? I know I have. And then I got to thinking about all the different times when sometimes we might be tempted to quit. Maybe we're trying to finish a task and it gets bigger and it gets more involved than we ever thought and we're tempted to quit and give up. Don't finish the task. Students, maybe it's completing an assignment and you get knee deep in it, waist deep in it, and you're like, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Don't give up. Complete the assignment. Uh, Maybe you have a friend and you're not as close as you used to be and you're tempted to write, write it off or to give up. Don't. Uh, Maybe you're trying to pursue a vibrant marriage and you're discouraged. Don't quit. Don't give up. Maybe you're trying to build a godly home and and really help your family focus on Christ. And it's hard because there's so many distractions. Don't give up. Don't quit. Stay the course. Maybe you're trying to maintain your integrity in the workplace. And it gets hard when everybody's doing great when the boss is in the room, but then when he walks out of the room, everybody does their own thing. Can I tell you something? We just need to stay the course. As Brother Danny said, we need to live our life for an audience of one. You see, the bottom line is this. You and I will see spiritual maturity more at home and in the workplace than anywhere else. Think about how we spend our time. I mean, we spend 40 hours or more a week in the workplace. Uh, many times now we call our coworkers family. You know, they're kind of like friends. They're kind of like family. They're family because we spend so much time at work. We know each other well. We know, our, we know their kids. We know their lives. We just know those things. And then, of course, at home, when you're not somewhere else, hopefully you're at home and you talk about your mate, you talk about your kids, They love you more than anybody else. They know you better than anybody else. And so when it comes to living out this Christian life and and, and living, uh, you know, growing in spiritual maturity, it's seen at the home, uh, in the home, and it's seen in the workplace, and that makes it so important. That's why you and I must stay the course. Many times people don't. O.S. Hawkins uh, told a story years ago that when he was a kid, there was a kid in his neighborhood, they would all meet to play basketball. And this kid had on those high-top tennis shoes, you know, and he had those really long shoelaces, and he had tie, he, you know, he, he, he didn't know how to tie them. He had them a certain way, and then all of a sudden they'd come untied, and there'd be a knot in them. And not knowing how to tie them, he got frustrated. He'd whip out a pocket knife, and he'd cut the shoelaces, and there you go. And he, he observed that, and then years later, as he was preparing for a message about relationships, he said, you know, how many people are like that little kid on the basketball court with the high-top tennis shoes? And when everything gets entangled, when everything gets messy, rather than working through it and dealing with it, they just 
take out a pocket knife, and they cut it off. I want to tell you something. You've got a choice today. When it comes to living out spiritual maturity in your home, in your family, and at work, are you going to stay the course? Are you going to focus on Jesus and let the Lord guide you through that maze of relationships and how to live out spiritual maturity in your relationships by those that are around you the most? Or you can just take out your pocket knife and just cut it off. But I want to tell you something. That's not, that's not a good way to live. It doesn't please God. We can't just cut people out of our lives and pretend it never happened. We've got to deal with it. So my question for you to think about today is this. Will you depend on the Lord to stay the course in living out your faith at home and at work? I hope you will. Today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and chapter 4, verse 1. The reason why I said it that way, it's a mouthful. I mean, think about this. Uh, when it comes to our roles and our relationships, God God's word instructs us regarding our struggles. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in everything. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters in everything. And masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly. And then the whole principle here, whatever you do, serve the Lord. That's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful. Let's look at what God's Word says this morning. First of all, Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What does that mean? You know, it's kind of funny to me because when people talk about this uh, particular command in Scripture, they'll say, oh, that's outdated, that's antiquated. Actually, it goes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, but we'll get there in a minute. And then they'll say, boy, Paul sure was a chauvinist, wasn't he? Uh, and that's when I know they really don't know what they're talking about. And you want to know why I know they don't know what they're talking about, Brother Don? Because here it is in a nutshell. Paul did say to, to the church in Corinth, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. And then, you know, in a, uh, in a Colossians here, he says, Wives, submit, to your, uh, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You can read Ephesians 5, and it says basically the same thing. But do you know what Peter said? He went way out there. Let, let me just, uh, just want to get you familiar with this real quick. In 1 Peter 3, uh, ladies particularly, listen to this. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1, here's what Peter said. He said, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. In other words, Peter's saying, look, ladies, you need to submit to your husbands even when they're disobedient so they can be won over, not by nagging, but without a word because of the way you live your lives. Now, that is a mouthful. But then he's not done yet. What does he say after that? He says, don't let your beauty consist of... Um, Outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what's inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then he says this. He says, For in the past the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. So no, Paul is not the chauvinist. 
Peter said more than Paul ever did. But you know what? I'm so glad Peter did. Why? Because the fisherman that God called to be an apostle helps me understand what it looks like. What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Uh, the reason why they should submit is, the Bible says, Colossians 3.18, it's fitting in the Lord. And that's the, that's the reason. Uh, what's the lesson here? Do, do what is right without fear. See, Peter, Peter gave us an example. He says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. You know, we don't talk about this enough, but this is one of those things where the Bible really speaks to life, where we live our lives every day, like in marriage. And here we're talking about the wives. And I'm going to take a little extra time on this. Not that I'm picking on anybody, but I want to get it right. I want you to understand what it looks like. I want you to understand what it means. And so here Peter gives us an example, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. If you've never done this before, I would highly encourage you to Go to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, where you can find the story of Abraham and Sarah. And once you pick up in Genesis 12, there's Abraham and there's Sarah, and start reading. And what you'll find is five episodes, five scenes in their life that Scripture records an interaction, uh, a conversation between Abraham and Sarah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you real fast because of time. So two of the five scenarios, this happened not once, it happened twice. When Abraham said, honey, if you love me, we're going into Egypt. Oh, and we're going into Gerar. We're going to encounter Pharaoh. Oh, we're going to encounter King Abimelech. You're a beautiful woman. Tell them you're my sister. Because if they know we're married, they're probably going to kill me. And so Abraham is more concerned about himself and so she says, he's my brother, which was kind of true. They were half brother and sister, and that's a whole other story, and I'm not even have time to go there today. Let's deal with one thing at a time. But bottom line is this. Each instance, the first time they went into Egypt, and she said, he's my brother. And when they thought she was an eligible bachelorette, what happened? Pharaoh took her into his harem. And then years later, the same thing happened. They're going into Gerar, and, uh, and they say the same thing, and Abimelech thinks she's eligible, and he takes her to be his wife. In both cases, in both cases, she loved her husband enough to obey him, even though it put her at risk. And that's when ladies would say, see right there, I am not going to submit to my husband because when he doesn't have my interest at heart, who is going to protect me? You want to know the answer? God. Did you hear that? God. Not once, but twice. In both instances. I don't have time to go there. Look it up. Fact check me, please. But when they went down to Egypt, Pharaoh took, him, took her into his harem, and then all of a sudden, God made it known, you better not touch her. She's a married woman. And Pharaoh sought Abraham out and said, what are you doing to me? Then years later, same thing, Abimelech. Um, God prevents Abimelech from even touching her. And all of a sudden, God reveals to Abimelech, you're going to be a dead man. You've got another man's wife. God, I didn't do anything. I know you didn't do anything because I didn't let you do anything. When man fails, when a husband fails to protect his wife, 
if a wife will dare to obey God and love her husband and do what he says, I believe that God will take care of her. Now, that might be a little controversial, but my, my, my integrity here is not on the line. God's is. And in both instances, God says, I'll take care of you. That's powerful, isn't it? See, if you really want to know what this looks like, you you understand very quickly that the real reason why it's not done is because of fear. And God says, if I command you to do something, do it without fear. Now, I'm I'm not done yet. There's three more episodes. Uh, It gets even better. What about that time when Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids? Remember that? They couldn't have kids. And in that day and time, the acceptable thing to do uh, or one of the customs that they had was surrogate parenting. That's what we, we call it today, where someone else comes in and has the baby for them. And so what did, what did Sarah do? She looked around, she saw her handmaiden named Hagar, and she said, hey, Abraham, I have an idea. Won't you take my servant, Hagar, and we'll have a child through her? Now, that might have been acceptable according to the customs of the time, but that was her plan that was not God's plan. Now, please catch this, ladies. That was her idea. She brought it to Abraham, and he says, sounds good to me. I don't know what he said, but apparently he went along with it. Her idea, Abraham agreed. That's what they did. Hagar gets pregnant, and as soon as she gets pregnant, she despises Sarah, and then Sarah says, it's your fault. And you know what? She'd be right. So, ladies, you have an idea. You bring it to to your husband. He decides to do it, and it doesn't work out. Whose fault is it? Boy, it got quiet in here. (laughs) That's what headship looks like, man. When when God has put you as the head of the home, you're the final decision maker and the final authority. So even if you delegate and defer the decision to your wife, who does it come back to? Yeah. Remember the fall when Eve ate first? And she gave it to her husband because he didn't say anything and he ate it too. Who did God come after? Was it Eve? No, it was Adam. That's right. So you've got to understand how this works. Uh, then there's the episode of where um, Sarah um, laughed at the idea of being pregnant. And uh, remember where Peter said that Sarah called her Lord I had to look that up. I was like, did that really happen? And it really did. If you're curious, I'll tell you where it happened. It's kind of funny, actually. A lot of laughter going on, too. Uh, What am I talking about? In Genesis 18, when Abraham has three visitors show up, and one of them's God, and he says, where's your wife? Oh, she's in the tent. Oh, okay. Well, about a year from now, I'm going to show up, and you're going to have a son. She's going to have a son. And Sarah hears that, and she laughs. And the Bible says there in Genesis 18, verse 12, she laughed to herself, am I worn out and my Lord is old? <laughs> and, and will I have delight? So she is referring to Abraham as Lord, and she's saying he's an old Lord, let me tell you. But anyway, got to have a little bit of humor. But here's the point. In that story, what does God do? That, that's what I want you to see is how God works in the, all this. God is telling Abraham and indirectly Sarah that they're fixing to have a son. And Sarah's thinking, that involves me. And she's going, that's silly. I don't believe that. And she laughs. And then God tells Abraham, did Sarah laugh? Nope, nope, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did, he says. It's a beautiful story. 
And ultimately, God has the last laugh because she does get pregnant. She does have a son. She names him Isaac. And you know what his name means? Laughter. God had the last laugh. I love that. And then there's one more story, the fifth one. And this is where uh, Isaac is born. Fast forward a few years. And, well, actually, I don't think you fast forward a few years. I'm getting confused. But anyway, Isaac is born. And after Isaac's born, they're celebrating. And here's Ishmael, who Abraham had a son through Hagar, Ishmael. And he's mocking and taunting and laughing at Isaac. And Sarah goes to Abraham and says this, Abraham, they've got to go. Hagar, Ishmael, they've got to go. And Abraham's torn. I mean... He's father of both Isaac and Ishmael. And Abraham goes to God. And what does God tell Abraham? Ladies, I know you know. God says, listen to your wife. Wow. See, you're, you're like me. You thought you knew what you know, wives submit to your husbands mean until you actually let the word interpret it for you, right? So, ladies... Submit to your husbands, but make sure you look at Sarah and Abraham as an example. Ultimately, do what is right without fear, and the Lord will be with you. And even when your husband lets you down, God will never let you down. And if your husband puts you in a position to where you're at risk and you're in harm's way, if you're obeying God's command... He's a higher authority on the food chain than your husband, and I believe that he will take care of you. He will. God's authority and integrity is on the line. Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Don't be whining about loving your wife. Don't be bitter toward them. You know what she said? You know how long my honeydew list is? Blah, 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 right? Uh, love your wives don't be bitter toward them the lesson is to love god calls us men to love our wives and the example he uses in ephesians 5 is christ and the church he loved his bride so much that what did he do he sacrificed he suffered and ultimately he gave his life for her and he says to the men Quit your whining. Love your wife. I mean, put it all out there, all right? Jesus did that for the church. That's his bride. He commands you and I to do the same. The illustration is in Ephesians 5, a man provides for himself and he takes care of his body. So he who loves his wife loves himself. What does that mean? That's a very earthly illustration that the Holy Spirit put into Scripture for us guys so we can get a hold of it. We take care of ourselves usually. We're good at that. And he says when, when God puts a husband and wife together, they are one flesh. The two are now one. Take care of her like you take care of you. And if you do that, everything will be all right. Now let's go on. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in everything. What did that say? Obey your parents in what? Everything. All the adults said everything. <laughs> but that's right. 
That's exactly what it says. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, here's the thing. If you don't obey, ch children, listen to me. If you don't obey your earthly parents, how in the world are you ever going to obey your heavenly Father? I I'm being honest. If you don't obey the authority figures in your life that you see every day, how in the world will you ever, when you become an adult, learn to obey your Heavenly Father that you can't see with your eyes? And if you say, I don't like people telling me to do, tell, tell me what to do, you're always going to have somebody telling you what to do. Unless you have your own business, you're going to work for somebody, and that person that signs your paycheck is going to tell you exactly what to do whether you like it or not. So here's the thing. We are all under authority, all of us. Uh, and we must learn how to live like that. So David and Solomon is a good illustration. In Proverbs 3, Solomon is writing, and he's referring to his dad, David, and he says this, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your, your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness lead you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you'll find favor and high regard with God and people. And so he is remembering what his dad David told him, My son, don't forget my teaching. Listen to me. And when we listen to our parents and our grandparents too, then we will be blessed. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. Well, let's look at the next one. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Another way of saying that could be harsh or overbearing or whatever you want to say, you know. And sometimes I have to deal with that. You know, my wife says, Corey, you got a tone. I don't mean to have a tone. I just mean what I say. Do you hear my tone? Okay, there you go. So uh, anyway, it happens. And so fathers, don't exasperate your children. Uh, why? So they won't become discouraged. What's the lesson here? Don't be harsh with them. Can you give me an example? Sure. What about God? The Bible teaches that God disciplines those he wants loves okay uh, discipline is part of the package of love because god loves us when he sees us getting out of bounds he begins to discipline us and that's for our good and he does it because he loves us and so dads make sure that when you discipline you're doing it out of love and not out of anger our heavenly father would do the same colossians 3 22 slaves Obey your human masters in everything. Now, again, um, the Bible was written a couple thousand years ago, at least the New Testament was. And so at that day and that time, slavery was a very prevalent reality in the, home, in the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, the Roman Empire, to a large degree, was dependent on slavery because there were so many of them that did so much of what made up their economy. Um, it doesn't weigh in on whether it's good or bad. However, Paul did say that if you're a slave and you're able to get your freedom, then by all means, get your freedom. But even if you're a slave that does get your freedom, realize that you're still a slave to Jesus Christ. And you and I, as children of God, those who are saved, 
We are slaves to Jesus Christ. We're servants of Jesus Christ. And so what does he say? The, the contemporary application here would be like workers in a workplace, like employees and employers. And he's saying, obey your boss. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Live your life for an audience of one. Why? Because you might think your boss at work is your boss, and they are, but you've got a bigger boss than that. His name is God. And he sees every single thing you do, even when their earthly boss walks out of the room, and he's the one that you're going to stand before someday and give an account of everything. So live your life for that heavenly boss. His name is Jesus, and he is Lord. Obey your human masters in everything. Don't be a people pleaser. Work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. The lesson here is to work for the Lord and not for man. Joseph is a great example. In the Old Testament, Jacob had many sons and he had a son named Joseph. You remember Joseph? And he's hated by his brothers because they're jealous of him. And they, they sell him into slavery and he gets a one-way ticket to Egypt He's never coming back. They'll never see him again, so they thought. And what happens to Joseph in Egypt? He ends up becoming a slave in Potiphar's house, who is captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And he, the Bible says that the Lord is with him. He didn't, he didn't weep. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. Oh, I've got a raw deal in life. What did he do? Well, I'm alive. I'm well. I'm a slave now, I've got to do my job, and he did. He did his job better than anyone else to the point to where uh, Potiphar said, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of everything because whenever I give you something to do, you not only do it, you exceed my expectations. God is blessing you, and he put everything under uh, Joseph's care. And yet Joseph did not take uh, advantage of those privileges or responsibilities. He did what was right in the eyes of God, and you and I should do the same. What about Colossians 4, 1? In Colossians 4, 1, he says, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. You might have your own business, and you are your own boss, and you sign your own paycheck, and you say, hey, what about me? Well, let me tell you something. You might be over the things that are under you, but you're still under the things that are over you. And God is over you. And you need to realize that we are accountable to Him. He is the one that we must have our eye on. He is the one that we should strive to please. And so, masters, deal with those that are under you justly and fairly. Why? Because you too have a master in heaven. And so realize there's a lesson to learn on no matter what side of this issue you are on. There's no favoritism with God. Go back to Joseph. Not only did Joseph learn how to be a slave, but because he learned obedience through being a slave, one day God promoted him. Ultimately, he became second in command to Pharaoh. And now he had all the power. That dream he had when he was a young man of sitting on a throne and having his family bow down to him, guess what? It happens. And when it does, he now has the power to exact revenge. If he wants to, he can make his brothers pay. But what does he do instead? He helps them 
to come to terms with what's happened. He sets a situation up to where they have to confess, and they do. And then he says, I'm Joseph, and he reveals who he really is. And then years later, when daddy's gone, and he's, and he's died, and there's nobody that they can go to and appeal to, uh, they get really scared. Oh, my goodness, there was one person that probably kept Joseph in check, and that was daddy, and now daddy's gone. Oh, he's going to get us for sure now. And what does he do? He weeps because his heart is broken. He says, come close to me, and he says, God sent me ahead of you to save lives. And that's what this is about. And that's why we're here today. In other words, Joseph learned how to be an obedient slave, but he also learned how to be a God-pleasing master. And when he had the power, he didn't use it to abuse privileges or take advantage of those that are underneath them. Joseph learned that lesson, and so should we. So bottom line, let's, let's put this ready to go with us today. We've had a mouthful, hadn't we? Wives, husbands, parents, kids, slaves, masters, we've had a mouthful. So what do we do with all this? Bottom line, how do you overcome struggles in your relationships without getting out your pocket knife and just cutting off the tangles and the loose ends and the knots and saying, I'm done, I've had it, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Don't do that. Let me give you a better way. I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give them to you very, very quickly. Number one, discover your why in Jesus Christ. Discover your why in Jesus Christ. Let me just point out to you very quickly, when you go back and read this section of Scripture, wives, submit to your husbands. What does it say? It's fitting in the Lord. Do you catch that? It's fitting in the Lord. And then he says, children, obey your parents and everything. Why? Because he says, this pleases what? The Lord. Okay? And then you go on and he says, slaves, obey your human masters and everything. Don't be a people pleaser, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Oh, you're getting it. And then he goes on to masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, because you know that you too have a master where? in heaven he's connecting the dots here and he says let your why be in me now it bothered me uh, there for a little bit danny and i were talking about this this week i said danny i can't crack the code he goes what do you mean he goes well he told all of them what to do and he told them why and most of them he says it's fitting in the lord he says it pleases the lord you should serve the lord you should fear the lord you have a master in heaven but what about the husbands love your wives and don't be bitter toward them What about uh, fathers? Don't exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. It doesn't say anything about God there. And thank you, Brother Danny, for pointing this out. God is a father who has his children. He's the model and example for that. And so all of this goes back to the Lord. Discover your why in Jesus Christ. When you have Christ in your life, there now is a reason why you should be a good wife, a good husband, a good son or daughter, a good employee, and a good boss. Why? Because Christ is in your life. And he says, I am raising the ceiling on this. I want you to obey me because I want to show people what a good marriage looks like, 
what a good family looks like, what a good workplace looks like. If you will just find your why in me and do what I tell you to do, oh, I'm going to take you to places you never dreamed of. I want you to be an example to the rest of the people that say, I don't get that. What does it look like? I've never seen one. Well, look at them, look at them, look at them. There it is. That's what Christ wants to do in your marriage, in your workplace, in your home, in your life. Discover your why in Christ. Number two, do everything from the heart as unto the Lord rather than men. I kind of skipped it a while ago because I was saving it for now. You go back to Colossians 3, 23, 24, and 25. I kind of skipped that. It falls under the slave section, but it also was a good summary of everything that I've said. In Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, at this point, regardless of who I'm talking to, husbands, wives, kids, parents, masters, slaves, whatever, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. In other words, one of these days, everything you've done, you're going to stand before God and give an account of. And if you did it for Him, oh boy, you're going to get a reward. And won't that be great, to get a reward from God? But if you did it for man, if you did it for what it it did for you, or for other people, if you did it for man, and, and you did wrong, and you did what you wanted to do, and you didn't care who you hurt along the way, then he says the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. And by the way, there is no favoritism with God. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care, care who you're married to. He doesn't care who your daddy is. He doesn't care how much uh, uh, property you own or how big your corporation is and you're the boss and it's your name on it. He does not care. He says, I am the only one that's God. You are not. And he will judge every man and hold them to an account. So do everything from the heart as unto the Lord rather than man. Now one more and I'm done. How do we overcome struggles in our relationships? Discover your why in Christ. Do everything from the heart unto the Lord and not man. And number three, decide to obey God's word with no regrets. Decide to obey God's word with no regrets. Here's what I can tell you. There's seasons to life. What season are you in? Look at the relationships that you're in right now. Are you going to obey God's word without regrets? Because if you do it your way rather than God's way, if you live long enough, someday you might regret that I didn't do what I should have done when I had the opportunity to do so. You need to obey God's word without regrets. I I have yet to find anybody that has lived life God's way and then finally said, man, I wish I'd done it my way. But I have found a lot of people that did life their way And then one day they realize the error of their way and they come to God and they're like, man, I sure do wish I could have done this a lot sooner. I wish I could have done it God's way. I want to tell you today, God wants to grow us up in spiritual maturity. He wants to make me and you more like Jesus Christ. And he wants the people that we love the most and that we spend the most time with, whether at home or in the workplace, he wants them to see that in you. 
He wants you to be that good husband and that good wife. He wants you to be a good, good uh, child, and he wants you to be a good parent. He wants you to be a good boss. He wants you to be a good employee. He wants you to be a Christian, fill in the blank of all those, and live like Christ. Would you do it his way? I'm going to challenge you on something. If you will simply do it God's way, just try it. I don't think you'll ever regret it. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com. Thank you.